Today, as you know, we gather to celebrate the incarnation, the word of God made flesh. Very God of very God, born as a fully human baby. How do we wrap our eyes, our minds, around such a mystery? What is a preacher supposed to say today? Ever since Jesus was born, human beings have grappled with what this means and how it could be. You might know that all the early fights in the church were grappling with that thing. Who is Jesus? How can he be both human and God at the same time? Some of you might have heard the legend that um, one of the things that happened in the 4th century at the Council of Nicaea, out of which we get the Nicene Creed, well, legend has it that one of the bishops got so mad at Arius, who was to be called a heretic in a few short minutes, he got so mad at him and what he was hearing about Jesus from Arius that he got up and he crossed the room and he slapped Arius in the face. This bishop was named Nicholas, the very Nicholas later known as St. Nicholas or Santa Claus. Now, why did it matter so much to Bishop Nicholas what Arius was saying about Jesus? Why did it matter so much to him that the church get it right when it comes to the incarnation? God with us, word made flesh. Why did it matter so much to him? And why does it matter for us gathered here today? Many things could and have been said, but I want to focus on one theme from our passages today, and that is this, that because of the incarnation, we can be sure, 100% confident, that our suffering does not mean forsakenness. We are not alone. God has not abandoned us. He's with us through it all, and the victory is at hand. Suffering does not mean forsakenness. I borrowed this phrase from commentator Erica Knisley. I don't know if that's how you say it. It has a K at the beginning. Suffering does not mean forsakenness. I was captivated this week by our passage from Isaiah. It is such a joyful passage. You can feel it jumping for joy. Shouts of joy, songs of joy, beauty, peace, comfort. And yet, this joyful song is set in the midst of ruins. The ruins of Jerusalem. Just picture in your mind a ruined city. Maybe you've been to a place like Rome. Maybe you've seen some Native American ruins. Maybe you can even imagine what this building might be like if it's ruined in 200 years or so. A place that meant something to us. Broken in pieces. Imagine what it would be like to stand on those ruins of things that had been meaningful to you and looking around. And then imagine you're the watchman set on the walls, watching and waiting, watching and waiting, looking to the east as the sun rises and sets and the seasons come and go and you're still waiting. Then one day as you watch, a messenger arrives. He's out of breath because he ran straight from the battlefield the whole way. Even before he catches his breath, he's crying out, your God reigns. He won. The king won the battle. He is on his way back to this city that he so loves. He's marching back this way. The city is still in ruins, but the news of the king's victory has arrived. He won. He's on his way. 
The king will indeed return and rebuild the things that were broken, but he's not quite here yet. Suffering does not mean forsakenness. Suffering does not mean forsakenness because in the incarnation we see that our God has committed to being fully in the world with his sleeves rolled up hard at work. I didn't have this in my notes, but I just think about when I'm kneading dough, I roll my sleeves up. God is doing that. He is at work. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The son of God did not just wear human flesh for a while, like a nice vintage suit, and then thrift it when he was done. No, in Jesus, God has welded himself to humanity for good. In Jesus, humanity is embraced by God for all eternity. Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, fully God, fully human. God is all in with us to the end. And that means that God suffers alongside us when we suffer. He is not just that king far away that we've heard about, on the march from the victory, getting nearer. He is also the co-laborer, toiling with us, picking up the stones to rebuild the ruins with us, aching with us when our backs are sore from the heavy lifting, sighing along with us and groaning with all creation for things to be made new again. Nobody wants that more than God himself. Suffering does not mean forsakenness, for in Christ, God suffers alongside us. Second, suffering does not mean forsakenness because in the incarnation, we see that God commits to working through gentleness and not force, through vulnerability and not coercion. In the Isaiah passage, God's portrayed as this warrior king who bears his holy arm and might. Same thing in Psalm 98. Victory is a military term, as you can think about. I guess it's a sports term, too. But here it would have been a victory term, a military term. That's the sort of savior God's people were expecting. And instead, as we've talked about, the Son of God came as a baby. What do babies do? Nothing. <laughs> And even when he grew to be a human, not human, babies are human. When he grew to be an adult, (laughs) when he grew to be a grown-up, he was one man, poor, without a platform, no social media platform. He was not an influencer. Jesus came that way as a baby born of God, not of coercion or force, but born through the simple yes of two human beings who were both gentle and strong. As I mentioned, kneading dough a minute ago, as you know, one of the things I did during my break was try to, um, perfect is not the right word, produce an okay sourdough bread. It was pretty good. If you've made sourdough bread, you know the thing that makes it stand out is that you don't use any yeast. You mix some flour and water, or in um, the recipe I used, pineapple juice, and you just let it sit. You add some stuff and let it sit. And for a while, it looks like it's not doing anything. And then somewhere in there, it starts to grow. It catches the wild yeast from the air. Even when you make 
a regular loaf of sourdough bread. It surprises me always. For me, it takes at least twice as long as it says it's going to take. It rises really, really slowly. It looks like it's doing nothing versus bread made with yeast where you can kind of see it popping up. But suddenly, little by little, you see it's risen a bit. You're not quite sure at first. You come back and check. Oh, it's risen again. Oh, a little bit more. Somewhere in there, and you can't pin it down, but somewhere in there, the wild yeast took hold. And so it is with the kingdom of God. It is hidden and gradual. We can miss it if we rush or if we're just staring at it. (laughs) But it is rising. It is gentle. God's gentleness is good news to those of us who've known the force of coercion, the brutality of the world. God's gentleness was counterintuitive in a world of Herods and Caesars, and it is counterintuitive to us today. I would very often prefer a more efficient God. And yet God continually chooses gentleness, even when it means suffering for his own son. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Even Jesus, very God of very God, did not force people to follow him. He chose the path of open hands and invitation. He chose to be vulnerable in his body and in his spirit. Vulnerability always opens the door to both suffering and joy, and it's why it's so hard. Suffering does not mean forsakenness. In fact, sometimes it actually means we are following on the same path as our gentle, suffering, vulnerable Lord. And last, suffering does not mean forsakenness, for Christ's offer still stands. His offer of salvation of himself is still good. It's not a coupon that expires. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. That invitation has been passed down for centuries and centuries and centuries. And Christ is here with us, reaching his hands out to us to tell us we are beloved. Reaching out through us to the world to say, good news. There is a better way than all of that. There is light and life even now. Suffering is not the final word. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul's words about how hard he labored, how much he suffered for the sake of the good news, for the sake of Jesus, to extend Christ's invitation to as many people as he possibly could. That is a vulnerable thing. It's why, quite frankly, we don't share Jesus very often. It's hard. It's risky. It invites suffering. And yet, this is good news. We are not just killing time for Jesus to come back. Not just enduring, seeing how far we can make it. God's offer is valid now for you and for me, for our neighbors and friends. I'm still learning how to share the good news. I have a neighbor from India who's a Hindu. 
And she's watched our live stream a couple times. And every time we have a service like this, I'm like, oh, I should invite her. And every time recently, I don't because I'm scared. So my prayer for myself, for us today, is that like that wild yeast, oh, the good news would percolate in us and rise up and rise up until we just can't help but share it. Until we just can't help but share it. Suffering does not mean that we're forsaken. There's still time. Christ's offer still stands. Now, you might have been wondering on this Christmas morning, why am I talking about suffering again? (laughs) Can't we just have one Sunday that's all joy? Isn't that Christmas? Come on. And again, I cannot get the image of that ruined city out of my head today. I think it's those who've known the deepest suffering, at least for followers of Jesus, those who've known the deepest suffering, who actually have the potential to know the fullest joy. As if suffering is this thing that hollows out a big cavern inside us that then can be filled to overflowing with joy. The citizens of that city in Isaiah knew joy precisely because they stood on the ruins of what they held dear. And so can we. For in Christ, God is determined to never be without us. In the words of one commentator, joy is possible in the midst of things unfulfilled because God does not wait to refashion God's people and power and love. He's doing that even now, here. Suffering alongside us. Thank you, Lord. Sweating and toiling to rebuild the things sin and death destroy with strength shown in gentleness and risk and vulnerability and forgiveness, always inviting, never forcing. He can make us that sort of people too, children who reflect his glory in grace and truth. Remember Nicholas, that bishop who supposedly slapped Arius the heretic, He is not remembered as a saint for slapping a heretic. He did get in trouble with it, again, for it. Again, the Lord works through gentleness and not through force. Nicholas is remembered as a saint not for a fight against heresy, but for his generosity and good works. There are all sorts of legends about him, and who knows, right, what's real. But the legends say he gave his family inheritance away to the poor. He gave dowry for poor daughters of a man, so they could get married instead of having to engage in the oldest profession. He saved innocent men from being executed wrongly. He stood up for justice in the courts. And his character and ministry were forged through suffering. He was a leader in the church during the reign of the emperor Diocletian, who was a horrible, horrible persecutor of Christians. Not a good time to be a Christian. He was put in prison for following Jesus. For years he was in there. And prison was not a place where you got three square meals a day back then. He was only released once Constantine came to the throne and made Christianity legal. Nicholas had known the presence of Jesus with him in the suffering. And he persevered. He knew through that Jesus was really real and at work and that the incarnation mattered. No wonder he got so mad hearing someone else speak things about Jesus that weren't true. He knew Jesus through his suffering. 
So I guess what I'm saying is Christmas is and always has been a season of joy blossoming even in suffering, ruins, and things left unfulfilled. So my prayer for me and for us is that today joy would spring up under our feet like flowers blossoming in the wilderness. I just have this image in my head of taking a step and then you move your foot and there's flowers left behind. That's my prayer. For we are not alone. We are not forsaken. We are not abandoned. God is with us forever. May it be so, O Lord. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.